Jesus is nervous. I am nervous. I'm, I'm nervous. Craig makes me nervous. Every time we do these. Do you? Yeah, it's, it's always Craig. It's not anybody else. So. A couple minutes, we'll get over our stage right now. Oh, yeah. So listeners out there, you know, don't hate us because this is who we are. I wasn't done. You, I didn't answer your question. Wait. I was I was going to re-ask it. I work with these people. Sorry, more badass. Sorry. Okay, do it again. All right. Baby, do it again. Dude, what an intro. Oh, my gosh. Hell yeah. Oh. Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to Top's Daily Grind. Uh, I need to work on that intro, by the way. Something oh, a little bit good. more professional. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, welcome. Uh... John Norris. Norris? That's it. Yep, Norris. Norris. I was afraid I was going to get it wrong and I still got it wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you even practiced it. You're I did practice it. Oh, I did so what, so I did what uh, Joshua did, but with your name this time. So <laughs> yeah. I was just practicing in front practicing. of the mirror. John Norris. Yeah. John Norris. But I got it right. You did. So anyway, yes. welcome. Welcome. How was your How was your drive up here? Drive was great, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. yeah it's uh, first, uh, like Craig and I were talking before we started, the first in-studio podcast I've done since COVID dropped. So it's it's been all that remote Zoom stuff, and it's good to see faces. Yeah, same, yeah same, out and actually talk. same for us. You know, same yeah. for us. You know, we're trying to fill in podcasts with with employees and friends, and you yeah. know, and, and so it's it's, tough. it's been yeah, it's been <laughs> it's tough, tough trying to get conversations that aren't the same over and over. You know, right? Because we all work together, so we kind of all know the stories and it's 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 tough to get something new so yeah you're our first guest since all this started so welcome awesome yeah. thank yeah. you no it's great to have uh it's great to have somebody that's not a tops employee yeah. <laughs> i bet every, i bet everybody <laughs> everybody's else is like tired finally, of it finally <laughs> there yeah we don't we just don't like those remote ones e- either it's 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 tough. I mean, it's you can tough. have good They're conversations, hard. but it's just not the same. It's not. No, yeah. We can, you know, getting personal and getting to hang out, and there's just there's just a closer bond to it, and it's a lot more fun, really. really yeah, fun. it's yeah. almost like there's a. You say it's almost like a lag, but we you feel it like you ask something, and then they're kind of just like waiting. And yeah, then, and then and then you answer, and you trip over each other, so it's it's kind of a mess. It's a little bit choppy. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. yeah, it's hard. So anyway, tell us a little bit about yourself. So for somebody who who's never heard about you or never met you, okay, just kind of kind of a little brief intro. Just a brief intro. I know you have a a, a whole long list of who you are. And yeah, just a, I won't. I won't do the the super. Bowl. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't like to. Yeah, talk to, talk about myself that much that way. But, so in '99, but, yeah. But, so I was born in '68, <laughs> the year of the Tet offensive and the best Mustang ever built I was born and you know so it was in the genetics no Uh, now John Norris um, recently retired lieutenant of California Department of Fish and Wildlife I was a uh, game warden guys for 28 years Um, born and raised in the Silicon Valley have family in Montana now relocated to Montana full-time just for all the right reasons we'll sure we'll get into that more more often but um, had a great career in California did uh, patrol, promoted to lieutenant, ran a couple of squads. And uh, one of the things that was unique in my career is about halfway through that career in, in 2004, 2005 era, as uh, Craig knows from uh, Reading Hidden War, my latest book, um, I started to get into uh, discovering these trespass growth sites, these uh, illegal trespass cannabis farms done by the drug cartels out of Mexico. And um, that pretty much changed my career. You know, we as game wardens, we went in a direction... Um, you know, that, that you, you wouldn't even, wouldn't even think about. I never perceived that would happen. You know, when I started in 1992, when I got out of college, I wanted to be that game where I grew up hunting and fishing, you know, Correct. I, just, I come like us. That's yeah. Conservation days. background, like you guys, you know, 
blades in my pocket at eight years old and carrying a <laughs> shotgun and, you know, a 22 right. at nine, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, I wanted to bust spotlighters and guys catching too many fish and you know, killing deer at night illegally and deer baiting and all that traditional stuff and, and did a lot of that. And it was great. Um, but California is one heck of a diverse state, you know, regardless of where you sit on the politics there, the resources there are amazing. The people there are amazing. And, uh, even as a game warden, I was learning about my own state that I grew up in. But I had no idea there was this uh, drug cartel presence. So I wrote a couple of books about it. Um, uh, we did, I was one of those featured wardens along with a bunch of other guys um, that did the first game warden reality TV show on National Geographic channel called Wild Justice. Um, I, and that I do was, remember seeing yeah, it was, different episodes on different, I, I do remember that. Yeah, it ran for three years. It did three seasons. It, uh, it was very, very popular. Um, it was great for our little agency of like 300 game wardens with no recruiting budget to get the word out of what yeah. we do, but it was good for conservation everywhere. So it was a, a Nat Geo number one hit all three years. And we were the ones to say no to more seasons just because of liability and o- officers were getting really yeah. tired, you know, having camera crews with us oh, yeah. 14, 16 hours yeah, a day. That puts, that puts double the work on you guys having to take care of yourselves and the camera crew following you. Exactly, yeah. brother. Yeah. Kind of, kind of yeah. looking after them, but that. That did a lot to expand our message. And that was, since I got involved in that, my first book came out about the same time called War in the Woods. And we realized that no matter how much hard work we were doing in the field of busting bad guys and stopping poaching and protecting wildlife waterways and wild lands, you know, the pin is mightier than the sword, ultimately. Yeah. Um, the more people that read books or watch TV or listen to podcasts. Yeah, you know, the more info and, that's out there. Yeah. And I'm, I can't reiterate enough how grateful I am to talk to you guys on a podcast format because we all come from like-minded backgrounds. And I love right. First Blade specific with a, you know, knife manufacturing company that shares the same uh, ethos, if you will, and outlook that we, all, that we do. Um, this is my first one here, so we're we're reaching another group of people that I'm very you know enamored with and part of the Blade community now, especially since I've retired. Um, but all of those things between the TV and um, you know media coverage and investigative news and and books and everything have just kind of led to this point where we're starting to get the message out and game wardens are starting to become a lot more legitimate because they're doing harder and harder jobs. So yeah, I, the, the, yeah. So some of the some of the stuff I was reading in that book, I was like, "This is not what you picture out of a game warden." <laughs> no, <laughs> like at all. Not even it's not even close. And so it was that was it was very eye opening. Even even for me, you know, it's like I'm familiar with this stuff. I grew up in in a small town. We were always outside. We were always yeah. doing stuff like that. And so it's you just you don't. It's hard to understand that until you actually read about it. Until you actually see it. No. And that's Hidden War, right? Yeah. That's the name of your book. Just to throw that's it out the there. Hidden, so Hidden War is the new one. That's right? the, the second one. Yeah, Hidden War is the, the latest, newest. It, it just dropped less than a year ago. I think we uh, we were going to get it out in May because Colonel Oliver North was a primary endorser of it, took the time to read it. Um, and, you know, he was at the, at the head of the NRA at the time. And the NRA annual was coming up, I think, the third weekend of April back in yeah, Indianapolis. Usually, yeah. usually it's April or May. That's when it yeah. was going to happen if it was going to be the third week. Um, this one coming up next year is going to be Houston. Houston. Yeah. I think it's Houston. Yeah. I I heard they're going to do something else. Um, no vendors or anything, but I guess they're going to be. Yeah. So because of the way the NRA is set up, they have to, they have to do a annual annual meeting for that's where all members are allowed to attend or they lose whatever status they have. Mm -hmm. So they're going to do that. 
but the the actual show isn't going to happen. Yeah, it's not yeah, happen. that's a bummer. And that was that was the first NRA annual I had been to. Um, and because Ollie endorsed the book and got behind it, and he kind of said, you know, of all the work I've done in drug work and counterterror, you know, you name it, from a foreign invasion standpoint, and he's a conservationist and a hunter too, which I didn't know before he did the review. He said, you know, the depth of what the damage these cartels are doing on tainted cannabis and human trafficking and, you know, methamphetamine and fentanyl and gun running. He goes, this is crazy. I mean, this is what you guys are fighting on the front lines as game wardens is, is un, unheard of. And we need to get this message out. So he kind of pushed <laughs> to get that book out and to, and to promote it at the NRA annual. So, and that's what really started blowing it so, up. So the book, write, writing, writing, was that something in your blood or is that something you just uh, wanted to get out after you started doing what you were doing? You know, it, it, it was not a plan. Um, it, was, it was one of those things where I, I wrote pretty well in high school and college. It wasn't my strong suit. It wasn't something I was super passionate about. When I, you know, when you're writing essays or you're writing arrest you, reports, because you, you have to. Yeah, yeah. Yep. and you I'm know, calling sick those days. I mean, I was, yeah. <laughs> and when I was doing my job as a game warden, when we do these environmental crime cases, like against big corporations doing, uh, you know, oil pollution or stream bed alteration, you might be writing a pretty much a book. Yeah. And they're not fun. You know, they're, I wrote them well. I put a lot of time into them, but they are not the, you know, sexy part of the job, so to speak. <laughs> right. yeah. um, but I never necessarily planned on writing a book, at least not until I retired. If I felt or somebody said, hey, you know, there's some stories worthy of being told that other people can benefit from, whether it's, you know, our youth to become game wardens or just to learn respect and become conservationists, especially in this changing time of so much urbanization when we're losing so many hunters and and anglers and, you know, kids just in the outdoors. Um, And then we had our first gunfight in 2005, which the first book goes into war in the woods in chapter two. And it was, uh, we didn't have a formalized team yet. We were working a handful of us game wardens in my county. We're working ad hoc with the sheriff's department, um, Santa Clara County, a really good department that had a marijuana enforcement team. And we were helping them rate a grow that was, I mean, just stone's throw from the head of Cisco and eBay and Google and Facebook. I mean, you're looking down at that in our valley. And here we are in the affluent city of Los Gatos, half a mile up the, or about a mile up this mountain, middle of A zone, August, super hot. And this place was untouched. These, these cartel growers have been going nuts in there for probably a decade, conservatively a decade. Wow, and I they, and they own recent. Like yeah. More recent than wow. Oh, it's, it was, no, it was I, since 2005. Yeah. I've been dealing with this. Yeah. yeah. I actually, uh, yeah. I found my first one in 04, which first book goes into. And then in 05, I brought partner wardens in, um, and we were ambushed. Uh, we were a very small crew, three game wardens, three sheriff's officers, uh, and a mid-peninsula park ranger to kind of guide the area. And thought we were walking into a fairly, you know, five, 6,000 plant grow, maybe a couple growers in it. And at that time, guys, nobody had really been attacked by these guys. They hadn't had firefights, you know, in our county. We never really found guns, and no one was catching anybody. Well, these guys were in the middle of harvest time. They had a couple of heavily armed, you know, defenders guarding the grow and with with some tactical experience, which nobody was really expecting on our end. And my partner took an AK-47 shot through both legs. um, And he was bleeding out of four holes through his right and his left leg and and, uh, almost bled to death in my arms. You know, it was one of those um, three-hour waits for an air rescue, which should not have taken that long. But nobody, including our administration, our, you know, support systems. dealt with something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But how how do you get a guy off a mountain that's, you know, bleeding out of four holes, 
and it's an unsecured site and you got to send in air assets and how are you going to get your officers off the hill and we're a little tiny team you know surrounding our injured officer and then we had engaged two suspects i was involved in my first gunfight that day so were two other sheriff's deputies and fortunately no one else on our side got hurt um a couple their guys did but we the rest of us made it home safely and and by the good graces um my partner Kyle did survive which was miraculous i mean most guys i don't think would have survived that injury that oh, was you're, you're talking that's a lot of bleeding, that's a lot of know? blood yeah. loss he yeah. lost yeah. a lot of blood and and you Jeez. know this was the time before we had all that cool trauma gear and trauma training this was 05 so yeah. The global war on terror overseas, our military special forces units and, and regular units were just starting to, you know, learn these new techniques for double tourniquets and anticoagulant like C-locks, all the things oh, yeah. we talk about in survival issues. Yeah. We didn't have that yet in the law enforcement side, but after this incident, we sure did quick. Um, but we, we were ill-equipped that day, you know, um, especially from the medical standpoint and one of the sheriff's deputies, uh, Mike D'Amigo, who has now since passed, uh, call sign Apache. He passed earlier this year. Big loss, but um, he was a uh, uh, Marine Corps veteran, saw combat in Beirut, and he always did what a good combat veteran does. He brings too much. Of, <laughs> he over-prepares? Over he he over-prepares, so he had Israeli bandages. He had 4 by 4s You know, he had gauze. He had enough pressure dressing material that the rest of us didn't have that day to keep Kyle from bleeding to death. And by the time that airship came in and got him, no exaggeration, our, our bandages were soaked through. Uh, we oh, couldn't I stop it. it. It was direct pressure on my part. We had a, you know, a suspect down, somebody, another suspect wounded. We didn't have enough, uh, enough of us to, you know, tactically track these guys, even though we were trained to do so to go after an armed gunman that might be, you know, holed up somewhere. We just have no people. So we waited and waited and waited. And finally, when that airship got him out of there, um, and he went through several surgeries and survived and came back with a vengeance about a year later and is as an amazing lieutenant in California now, wow. which is a testament to him because yeah. that, that would have, that injury, no doubt would have ended yeah. about 80% of other, other people's careers, but it also woke us up Yeah, like, okay, yeah, one wait a second, this is not what we thought it right. was. <laughs> you know, and we, 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 we talked before the podcast, right, Craig, about, you know, all these special forces guys, you know, from, from, uh, your company from tops knives. And, and I, I'm a brand ambassador for Mike Velicamp, my buddy, Mike, who, you know, over at V knives. And yeah. we have a lot of military and, uh, law enforcement, Patriot oriented people in that company as well. And it's the same thing. Everything you wanted to have at a certain standard of, of uh, quality and performance that you didn't have when you were fighting the fight, right? And so we're, we were in that same situation. And if we were going to stay in the game, what positives can we learn from this, uh, you know, this tragedy? Yeah. And my partner almost dying is better medical equipment, better medical training, um, weaponry, optics, all those different things that I was kind of spearheading for my department at the time, we just didn't have. Um, and it took a long time, but the new book, Hidden War, goes into... 10 years later, after all those trial and errors and working ad hoc with other agencies, getting the green light from my chief to handpick the right people, get the right canines and build the right team, and including equipment and tactical support and air support, medical, everything. Um, and that that's where I think we succeeded. You know, we took a, pot, a negative and really concentrated on building something that would keep us safe and do something for the environment. And is that still something that, that they're following with? Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah they're so still um, growing. It's still, it, it's, it's doing great. Yeah. I, I talked to um, the Lieutenant that replaced me was, um, you know, we also, we also developed Delta team within the Met, a sniper unit of five of us. And um, one of my assistant team leaders, who's now the Lieutenant that runs the team in my, uh, my retirement, 
um, we keep in touch and I talk to the guys quite a bit. Um, and ironically, this is the crazy part is even though with cannabis being legal in California and the legitimate cannabis community pushing our message and helping, you know, and, um, us, you know, kind of being liked by both sides, if you will, which has been great. It's been kind of unifying, you know, we have the growers, we have the users that are trying to do it right. that are environmentally conscious, trying to make a clean product for the legal market, whether it be here or other States, the medicinal market. And then we have, you know, everyone that's on the conservative kind of right wing side that'll, you know, never sanction cannabis, but they of course like our fight because it's, you know, it's a cartel organization they're always on public or private property doing nasty yeah, stuff. Yeah, they're still damaging the, the environment, still yeah. doing all that. But the uh, but the team has been doing um, amazing. And while there were a lot of skeptics when we built the team that said, okay, you guys are going to build this elite tactical unit. You're going to put all this time, resources, and money, and training. And then we're going to legalize cannabis in a year or two. Because we knew in California Prop 64 was coming like four years before it was coming. Right, I right. Would, I would present to legislatures and, you know, and then the, the lobbyists, you know, from the cannabis industry would hit us up. And we go, it's going to happen. But... Everyone, even guys within our own agency said, you guys are going to be out of a job. This is just, you guys want to go play soldier. What's up? Well, we legalized and what happened? The black market blew up. Of course. And the cartels went, oh, great. So now there's less pressure on us because all these cannabis teams and yeah, fish and wildlife. Mix it in and make it seem like Yeah, it they got to go look at indoor and they got to look at private property, but <clears throat> there's less attention on us. In and you uh, said as well that the laws were pretty relaxed, right? On people growing it. Yeah, so what's like the... It wasn't, they weren't as... as, uh, as What's the what's the crime? Yeah, what's what, like, what, what, how, yeah. what was the crime? What kind of uh, charge do they you said it was get a misdemeanor, for just right? growing? Yeah, for just growing it. Yeah, it was. They were pretty pretty light before we regulated, and then when Prop sixty four passed, it took trespass growing pretty much the thing we target that will never be legitimate. You know, from cartel groups, um, it took it from a felony to a misdemeanor. Holy shit. And then if you were a juvenile, <laughs> if you were a juvenile, you know, apprentice in the in the enterprise. It was an infraction. So it was like a seat, like a driving, a driving without your yeah. seatbelt ticket. Oh no gosh. exaggeration. So when that Holy happened, shit. you know, and I, I can't tell you guys how many presentations and PowerPoints, because being the team leader of this unit, 30% of what I did was educate. So I would talk to everybody. And I talked to legislative groups and lobbyists and this senator's aide. And I go, you know what, guys, we know it's coming. We know we're going to regulate. Fine. Just do me a favor. Don't make the public land stuff any less punitive. Yeah. If anything, make it more stringent. Take some of the money we're going to generate from taxes and revenue and compliance with the legitimate growers. I'm sure they'll back it because they're doing it right. And let's tackle these guys and enhance the penalties. Um, and to get it to pass uniformly, the politics played in and completely the opposite happened. And what that did is it just it just set us back like another 10 years. So now the team is faced with doing a lot of that with agencies that have just pulled out and said, like sheriff's departments and some federal agencies have said, all right, it's a misdemeanor infraction. These guys are heavily armed. They're working with impunity. We're taxed in all these other areas. Why are we going to risk our lives and our resources on something that isn't even going to be prosecuted? Yeah. Um, the only thing that saved it on our part, why we're still involved and why we're thriving on the game warden front in California is the environmental crimes. And as soon as they start destroying waterways or they kill animals or they pollute water, um, you start getting felonies again. And, you, and the, the EPA banned chemicals they import from Mexico that are illegal to use in this country because they're so toxic. The carbofuran, the, the nerve agents that, you know, get into the water, they're on the plant, they're on the bud that the you know, public are ingesting unknowingly. 
um, once you add that stuff, it all becomes felonies. So we've got the felony bite back in trespass. It just more work on you guys to be able to prove that. It, it does. Holy you you so, work up a full environmental investigation so like you're going after water pollution. The laws yeah. haven't got better. They haven't. No. No. And, okay, and, so if you stumble on so you stumble on one of these grow sites and they're not diverting water, they're not using the chemicals, you're just going to be like, eh, skip it? We won't. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Thankfully, <laughs> yeah. Will, right? yeah. Some, some, some agencies might do that, um, but there's a lot of guys. Does even, that even happen? Does that even happen, though? I mean. Sometimes. Okay. Yeah, sometimes. And, and what, what's happened, Craig, up to this point is we'll go in and we know we'll make the arrest. We might do the booking. It might be a hand slap. They might not, you know, they might bail out. And because they're not a citizen anyway, and they're, you know, they, most of them qualify as a deportable felon under that statute. And, you know, I want to make the differentiation right now, especially when we get in, you know, the racial tension going on in, in the country right now. This isn't, doesn't have anything to do with legitimate immigration yeah. or race or color. This, it's just really black and white. Yeah. Um, if you're a grower that's trespassing on our forests or someone's private property, and you've got a rap sheet in another country or in this country that um, would put you in prison for 10 to 20 years or longer, and you're out there running with impunity, you know, you're in that deportable felon category and nobody right. wants to see you out there harming the public or harming the yeah, harming wildlife. It, even in even in Mexico, they do that. Even right. in Mexico, they catch you walking down the street. And and if you look at me, I'm full of tattoos. I'm, I don't look like, no, goddamn president of Tom's night. So, so, uh, so, Leo, no, no stereotyping, <laughs> you know, man. I'm not profiling you, brother. They always think Craig's the president. <laughs> yeah, we have but, to explain yeah, that it's Leo. I got cool. this guy, Leo, you got to watch. You know, I walk from my brother's house to a little gas station to buy a beer. Mm-hmm. And they'll pull me over, and they'll run my oh, record yeah. in the U.S. Yep. Yeah. They run my record in the U.S., wow. and if and if I have any kind of wanted warrants, they'll arrest me and take really? me in, and then they, they put me in the border. They'll, they'll take you to the border, and they, they swap you out there. Wow. That's what they're doing out there. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I try to go yeah, down there. I have my brother living at the border, so it's like about an hour and a half from San Diego. Okay. And all that. So, gotcha. I, you know, we try to go every four or five months to see him. Nice. And, and it's, it's more often than that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's every quarter <laughs> three. Leo goes, I, yeah. Leo goes MIA from the factory for like 10 days. And I know like, that it's more often than that. <laughs> hey, where's Leo? Um, family detail. Yeah, family. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, but you see more and more of this stuff. You do. You know, trying to battle it on that side, trying to battle it on this side. You know, it's it's crazy. It is. And it's... Yeah, and it, it makes other people, like other Mexican people, like me, for example, it makes us look bad. Because it's 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 embarrassing to see that you know that that's, just because they associate that you're like that too yeah and it's and that's a good. that's a super good point I don't hear often because I don't get to sit down face to face and yeah. have a conversation like this and that's exactly right and it's like kind of reference to what we've seen with with law enforcement in the last month you know a, absolutely a bad apple a horrendous you know I mean there's yeah. there's bad elements in in every creed every division every job yeah. and you're right you get you guys you know, get stereotyped as Latinos yeah. in that, um, or, you know, whatever the case may be. And, yeah. um, people look at that first sometimes and that's, that's, that's a travesty. Yeah. It really is. That's true. True. But um, the team, uh, but to your point of the team is just going crazy. And, um, one thing I will add is since COVID hit and since it became, you know, a worldwide pandemic and, you know, the border in Mexico got closed down and, um, everyone that's embedded here, and whether the border's closed or not, cartel operatives get across very easily. It's Absolutely. not hard. You know, it's a couple Absolutely. four to 7,000 for a, a grow boss, and he's going to get his best guys here, even if they have been arrested and deported. Mm-hmm. But they get back, and they're just like, well, is law enforcement really going to have contact with us right now because of the COVID issue? And the answer to that is probably not. 
And so um, the grows, especially in California, my old state, as I keep in touch with the guys, are off the hook. And there's, you know, and the, the teams are just starting to go back in and hit them, but they're doing it more of a, an eradication safe method. We're not really, you know, there's, are we going to arrest? Are we going to put in all the effort of apprehension, mm-hmm. which are the new book goes into really what we developed with our dogs, especially. And we catch a lot of bad guys and at least we keep them from doing more harm to the environment or to mm-hmm. people. Hopefully we don't have gunfights. So everybody lives, but we, you know, stop the crime, stop the damage. Um, and there's less and less of that now because of this, uh, because of this new, you know, pandemic we haven't seen in our lifetime and that's and the environment is suffering from it. So, yeah, this was a strange one and it changed a bunch of things that yeah. you didn't even come close to expecting. Not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Still, yeah. still I was still reading, filming. I was reading this, this article one of my buddies sent me, I guess, uh, they're deporting, they're de- the, 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 you know, de- what do you call it? Deporta- deportations, deportations, um, is on hold. So they're pretty really? much keeping them in jail until further notice pretty much before that you know two weeks they're flipping them back in and a week later they're back in the u.s wow you know, and, and, and now i guess they're they're holding them but who knows who knows you know what's happening down there yeah so now that you're retired what is it do you, you do offer classes or yeah it's is that something it's um, something like that or? yeah i do a little bit of that and it's really and i didn't anticipate this things i retired a year ago december and Two weeks, within two weeks after that, it was SHOT Show. And then I was getting introduced to blade manufacturers and, you know, having carried a blade Mm -hmm. at work, at play since I was eight years old and that kind of thing, getting into the blade world to start to find a way to get a blade that that I was happy with, you know, from the standpoint of something I wanted to carry that I never quite had that Goldilocks just right, you know, not too soft, (laughs) not too hard. Um, But I, I did a lot of teaching and did a lot of outreach while I was with an agency. And the first book was, you know, written while I was still employed. Um, and I had a, bu- I had a book deal for hidden war going right into retirement. So, um, phase two wasn't really retirement. It was just like a kind of a transition where I stopped operating, working in the woods, but I'm just sending the message even stronger with, without restrictions, without any type of political restrictions of what I can say or not say, and on a more national basis. And what I found out immediately, especially when the first book dropped or the second uh, hidden war dropped is so many other game warden agencies throughout the nation and BLM rangers and forest service rangers and sheriffs were starting to see this happening more and more in their states on the cannabis issue, the trespass problem, and all the other cartel crimes we talked about when we started. And they're like, you guys built this team that no one's done before. And you got it through, you know, the politics of California of all things. <laughs> right. As game warden, sniper game wardens <laughs> running around with bite dogs in California yeah, it and seems like California would be the last state to do that. Exactly, Craig. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, you, that is perfectly said. And, you know, and I, I still go back, and if I think about it, and I just I go, how did we make – okay, we got really lucky. We got really blessed. And to that point, if we didn't have certain leaders that believed in us that were willing to completely buck, quote-unquote, the political direction mm-hmm. of California at the time – we would have never had that opportunity. And I'm really grateful to guys like Mike Carrion and Nancy Foley, my two previous chiefs, that they saw the bigger picture and said, you know, we have to make something like this happen because we got to stay in the game, but we can't get hurt. We can't have someone shot again like Kyle was in 05. Um, but when I saw what we were doing in California, I figured, hey, if we can do it there effectively and keep everybody safer, officers and suspects, right? Um, but bring get a lot of people arrested and out of circulation to stop it, reclimate and clean up all the environmental damage. Our dogs do the heavy lifting where if they have to bite a, bite a bad guy, um, he's not going to be killed. You know, he's going to hurt, 
but none of us, are, we're all going to go home safe. Right. And, and that, that was just a testament to some great dogs and great handlers. Um, but these other states now are running into that problem with less officers, uh, with, with less support. And now in the midst of racial tensions and protest and COVID, I mean, game wardens and forest rangers and border patrol agents are doing as much mainline stuff just to keep the peace in the city areas or in their little towns. Um, so, you know, the resources are going to suffer, you know, what we call the thin green line. And my whole brand upon retirement became, you know, the thin green line guy, if you will. And the thin green line, you know, on the flag traditionally is border patrol, military, game wardens, park rangers. But it's all of us. It's not just us on the law enforcement side, you know. And Craig, you, Leo, all of us, we're all thin green liners. You guys have a love for wildlife and the outdoors. Absolutely. You build so many high quality yeah. blades at this great company that, first-time anglers, first-time hunters use, survivalists, yeah. military <laughs> veterans. So, and, and Joe Rogan and I said the same thing. He, he said, I never considered what the thin green line meant. I'm the thin green line. I went, thank you. you hey, know? Yeah, he totally, he we're, totally we're, We, we got to be. You know, I mean, elk hunter, right? Yep. Um, so all of us, no matter where we come from, political, whether we're left, right, right, cannabis, no cannabis, or anything in between, especially with what the country's going through right now, I think everybody at some level, even kids that are – embedded in urban society they're on playstation or you know <laughs> ps yeah. ps9 or whatever yeah. and they, they, <laughs> yes. they've never walked a trail they've never seen a fish swim in a creek um if they're out in the woods at all it's mental health yeah. it's a break you know like all this homeschooling and you know um, social isolation we've had and shelter in place with covid if the kids couldn't get out and walk 45 minutes just to breathe fresh air yeah. depression Moms and dads and homeschoolers were going crazy, but they could just get everybody, you know, de-escalated if they just had outdoor time. And it really brought one of the few positives of this crazy pandemic, guys, I think, is it brought more awareness to how much we miss our outdoor resources and we need to protect it them. It really is. You and know, have our open spaces, Now that right? you're saying that, John, like for, for, for ATVs, mm -hmm. they oh. are off the chart. Right. I went to, buy, I went to pick one up a month and a <laughs> half ago. They were into the stock for September. Jeez. Wow, that's yeah. how that's how much they're selling. Yeah, people that's people insane. are, and and I mean here we didn't even really experience what some other states did. Yeah, right. there was a stay at home order and all right. that kind of stuff. But then they never told people don't yeah, go it fishing. A, it was a relaxed. Don't right. go out and hike. Don't go do this. They just said stay away from people. So if you're out fishing, don't stand next to the other person fishing, which yeah. who wants to, right? Stupid anyway. I'm whipping them with my pole. Yeah, you don't do that. You, you just don't do that. That's bad, <laughs> yeah, that's bad etiquette. They so. basically said, don't go too far just in case you get into an accident. We have yeah. to go get you. But Yeah, they're like, right. please don't but, go too yeah. far from your, that, from your home. It was very well relaxed. Yeah. yeah. But even, even so, there's so many more people out camping, riding four-wheelers, sure. hiking, True. than than I would normally see. Yeah. And so, and it's kind of like after being told you can't do it, now everybody's like, no, but I want to. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so, but I also think that's some of the craziness that's happening with, with people rioting and things like that is. is they're cooped up. They're, yeah. They've been locked yeah. in an apartment. It is. You know, probably like a five, 600 square foot apartment for yep. months. Yep. I mean, you're going to lose your mind. Yeah. Everybody's got cabin fever. So it is. And, you know. and to your point, yeah. Craig, that's, that's perfectly said from the standpoint of you get out and, de-escalate, decompress a little bit, maybe you're not going to be as tensioned when you go, you know, maybe you're going to protest safely, nonviolently versus trashing stuff and beating on different people and everything else. And in the inner cities, they, they, you know, if they can't get out to a park and, you know, these inner cities where a lot of these riots are happening, they can't. Yeah. People don't even own cars in some of those. They cities. don't even have a place to go. Yeah. They couldn't know? get out into the woods, even if they wanted to, it'd be hard. Yeah. 
So yeah, here they I understand where where a lot of this is coming from. The yeah. protests here turned into a barbecue, right? Yeah, the protests yeah. here turned into a barbecue. The police here put on barbecue. a barbecue and like hung out with the because people look where we're at. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, Idaho Falls, we're yeah. kind of in that conservation country. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Lincoln County, living Montana, yeah. it's just yeah, there were no protests going on there. I yeah, mean, they, they, here it started, but then they ended up with a big barbecue and they were answering questions that people yeah. had. Super, was, yeah, yeah, the police here, I think, actually tried to listen. Yeah, and I mean. You know, Idaho Falls isn't super racially diverse, but sure. but they they at least got out and tried to talk to the community, which I think we've always kind of had in this in this state yeah. anyway. Yeah. And that's why that's why people aren't burning things down and and doing yeah. the craziness like that. It's like yeah, it, it, it it's it's super good to see um, that mentality. You know, from a community oriented police, I'll, I'll touch on that. But um, back to your guys' point, all the ATV sales that just suddenly yeah. boomed. A stat came in, and we talked about this on our Thin Green Line podcast. My co-host, uh, Wayne Saunders, he's a lieutenant, retired lieutenant in New Hampshire. And um, we were talking through the COVID updates like once every two weeks on this thing. And last month, and the, the percentages might be give or take 100%, but a 30% increase in hunting and fishing license sales nationwide and people yep. going to online hunter education courses – and I'm like, except Maya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, have, we have a guy here that we are, we're always oh, always with us. I love but it. Still don't have his hunting license. Yeah. I'm like, you don't even have to go shoot Maya. Just get online. You'll get it done. Oh yeah. Tomorrow we'll do it. Still he's even, it. he's even done <laughs> like competition. He's a he shooter. He does competition shooting. Like he's even done some of that, but he doesn't I'll dial have him his in. hunting license. No problem. Let's get him going. Yeah. Not an issue. Yeah. Glad to. <laughs> yeah. But just that stat yeah. alone was so cool. Um, because that's something we didn't see because people realized, hey, there's a meat shortage. I've been without stuff at Walmart or at the grocery store or whatever. And they're getting fearful that maybe I have to start fending for myself. Maybe I have to write survival blade. Maybe I have to know how to skin and gut. Maybe I have to mm-hmm. know how to fish. And we're getting, you know, the, the post-millennial generation that haven't had outdoor experience. They lean a little more left, for lack of a better word. And, all of, and they never liked guns necessarily. They never wanted yeah. to hunt. And all of a sudden they're going, I want to learn to hunt. This is crazy. So um, all these sponsors I have in the gun world for our Thin Green Line uh, film TV series, they're like, you know, we didn't think our stuff would really appeal to hipsters and to, you know, the post-millennial <laughs> yeah. and, and X generation. But now, yeah, you know, it's, I said, hey, it's a good thing. If they're getting in the outdoors and they're learning to hunt and gather, but they want to do it ethically when they've traditionally just loved animals from a preservation standpoint, I think we're kind of getting a middle ground somewhere. And, yeah. we're, and we're unifying those sides. So. I, I would say, aside from the the extremes, which is what's getting all the all the press anyway. But aside from the extremes, people are stopping and thinking, like, what? How would I feed myself if I couldn't go get something right. at the grocery yep. store? Like, how? Yeah. And it's just it's almost a good exercise for people that yeah. have never had to stop and think, what if I can't just go get what I want at Walmart right now? Right. And, you know, a lot yeah. of people don't have an answer for they that. They don't. So you know? it's, it's been, I think that's been good. You know, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of shit out there. And, and that's what everybody's talking about because that's all that gets put in front of you. But there's a lot of good happening too, I think. There really is. And, and you know, that point, Craig, I think about, um, and I know we talked about this but before we started the, the recording, but um, you talked about your law enforcement here in Falls. And I think about my sheriffs and the guys in Lincoln County, you know, Montana or Santa Clara County, where I'm going to be, you know, in a couple of days, my old, my old homies, if you will. Um, and I just think about how dedicated they are and how much heat they're taking. And my partners, you know, oh, the man. game wardens and the Met team and the racial tensions. And, you know, I, I just got to put this out. I mean, having been a cop, basically a wildlife cop, but we do everything as game wardens. We responded to everything. We helped the sheriffs. We helped PD. We did murder investigations, rapes, drug cases, you know, drunk driving, you name it. Oh, wow. I mean, 
99% of all of us out there, and I'm just going to speak for all the, you know, the professionals I've worked with, and it's been thousands and thousands of officers all over the country now, have that mindset that there's respect for the community on every level until it turns very dangerous and we have no other choice Correct. but to use that force level and we never want to, and we should never want to, but we need to be prepared to if, if, if it has to happen yeah. to save lives. And um, and some of the events that have happened recently have just set back that community policing model and put this this stigma on law enforcement in general um, kind of 10 years deep, at least, you know, in the dark ages. And, and, and that, 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 that pains me, you know, deep inside my heart. It really does because I know all those partners that are out there doing the job right now and they're towing the line and they're treating people correctly. Um, and they're really there to help, you know? And, uh, and I think if we, we, we start to unify more through outdoor time, conservation, uh, you know, a nonviolent yeah. protest yeah. where you can sit shoulder to shoulder with someone completely on the opposite side, you know, and everything going on right with the uh, yeah. As long as you get you can get some dialogue, you got to you, you, yeah. you realize that yeah, they're just people too. They just you know every everybody just wants to make it home safely, want to right. live a happy life, and it's it's not yeah. We gotta it, stop. It we gotta stop thing. focusing on the fringe so much is the yeah. problem. You yeah. know, like mm-hmm. the the only reason these riots and what's happening in Seattle, the only reason that's getting as much as much content is because that's just crazy. Like you can't, it's like watching a car wreck. You can't take your eyes off. Exactly. But it's not, it's not helpful. No, you know, the vast majority of people aren't doing that. Just like the vast majority of cops aren't killing people for no reason. It's, it's just, we got to stop focusing on the fringes and start just like, and the media, media, you know, they, they, that's how they make their money. So they're pushing it so hard. Exactly. They're pushing yeah. it so hard yeah. that, you know, makes everybody look bad. Yeah. yeah. Sell ad so. space. Yep. That's all it, it is. is. That's, that's, the that's end of exactly the day. what it is. Yep. And that's yeah. what's getting the headlines. Money. Yep. That's sad. And it's, uh, I, I'm sure you guys have noticed this because, you know, I've been forcing the social media game since branding and being a, you know, retired and networking message and you guys with a business and everything else. Um, social media is getting really hard to go through every day. Yeah. yeah, it really is. Yeah. I can't and, even. I just can't. we were talking about it with Craig the other day. I didn't want to shut it down and, and live my life. Let's yeah. do our thing. I, just, I, mean, can't, I can't even scroll anymore because I'm just like, no. And I it's getting can't. harder to. I, I can't do this again. I can't no, see this again. No. And you know, people are. You know, people I, keep pushing it over. Why and aren't over? you chiming in more on this, John? Um, I, oh, I said man. I've said my piece, guys. You yeah. know where I stand. Yeah. I don't need to regurgitate another message. What I need to do is just. Get out there and interact positively. Yeah, positively, you know? absolutely. And if we don't, you know, like you said, Greg, I like what you said is we're focusing on the fringes. If we're so hyped up with the media on the fringes and what's happening in Seattle or what happened in Atlanta or, you know, all these different mm-hmm. big, you know, Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, we aren't going to want to get out of our quiet little, you know, yeah. God's towns, if you will, where you're at here, where I'm at <laughs> yeah. Montana. I mean, I'm like, okay, I get anxiety. I'm getting tense. I'm going back to California. It used to be no problem. I'm looking forward to 10 days back. And now I'm like, oh, what's going to happen? Yeah, you know, now, the now there's, there. just, there's a lot of question marks. There is. Yeah. And plus um, on social media, too, the, the people that you interact with, they're not going to act like that in person. No. There's no way. There's no <laughs> yeah. way. No. Yeah. People are a lot tougher online than they yeah. are in person. Yeah, yeah they are. So you, they can't, are. you can't have a real conversation just because of that. <laughs> it took me a while to, 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 to actually realize that. Yeah. yeah. You know, people, you know, people talking shit on, on social, and I'll tell Craig, I'm like, this I know who this guy is. I'm going to catch him at his show. I'm going to see him. I'm going to see can talk to me. Yeah. And then you yeah. meet him at his show. And he's hey, did you like hey, the video? Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, you bastard. Oh, right? It's like, oh, yeah. yeah. It's like when, when I started working here and I started doing more of the social media, the Instagram page and stuff, 
every comment I'd see that was negative would you like, take it, it to the heart. It, it hurt yeah. because yeah. you're like, you know, we're trying to do this. We're trying to make this company like run legit, you know, be grow respectful it, yeah. to everybody, grow it. And then you yeah. get these people that are, that don't even own one of our knives or anything. And they're, they're talking like shit. It. And then you're yeah. like, like, yeah, you don't even you know. No and yeah. Everything was personal. Yeah. But then you, you realize that that's just how it is. Like, yeah, it's it, just yeah. how it is. It, it, it's hard at first. You got to have a tough skin. I, yeah. you know, like I with was, these podcasts, we, we put one up and it was up for like three minutes and it had a dislike. Like you haven't heard it. <laughs> you haven't heard it all. It's, it's you, an hour long. Yeah, it's an hour yeah. long. Oh, at least wait an hour to put the dislike and then, yeah. and then go ahead and yeah, dislike it. If you it, actually it. don't like it, go yeah, ahead. That's fine. That's perfect. Yeah, 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 we're I mean, open to real criticism. Just make yeah. it valid. Just criticism. make it valid. Yeah. yeah. So we can improve, you know, no, I, I feel you're going with that. It's it's hard to, um, my buddy had called around and said it best. He says, you know, if you're going to make a really dumb, stupid, insulting comment when you really haven't analyzed the material or really even read my post, you're going to be blocked. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you're going to be blocked. And, but you know, I and, like his answers. Some yeah. of his answers are so good. Oh, they're great. And, yeah. and, and I'm like, he's, whoever he's wrote a troll. that message. He's a troll, just like the yeah, trolls. Whoever like, wrote yeah, that yeah. message he feels like hot. shit right now. Yeah, oh, they do. <laughs> he just bounced yeah. it right back. Yeah. Yeah, I, can't, he, he's, we, he's I can't troll like he can. So, Every no. time we try to answer somebody that's that's trolling us, it never works out. No. Yeah. yeah, It never works out. But he's he. there's a lot of people don't respond back after he hits them up. It's difficult to get it just that right wording because it always something gets lost in translation as soon as you hit send you yeah. like you write something you're like this is so clever you hit send and you're like oh shit that's, you really that's, do that's and pretty stupid you know i'm really curious to see the next five years or 10 years in the How social media evolves. age yeah. Yeah. with everything the kids are dealing with on instagram and all of this i mean we have the you know vettedness of having some adult time where we didn't have facebook and then we integrated into it and we took it with a grain of salt and we still interact really on phones and in person. And now I think about, you know, nieces, nephews and grandkids and, you know, family kids and they're getting tore apart by this stuff, you know, guys. They're getting oh, yeah. bullied and you're, they, you're, they, they didn't right. get, wait a minute, she usually likes my stuff every day and she didn't. And, you know, I'm, I have anxiety. I don't want to go to school, you know, I'm yep. getting sick. And that's all they've here. known too. And it's, it's yeah, horrifying, known, you know, they're just. Like, yeah, me, me living with my kid, my, you know, I got a, a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old that that's all they do. On social media, you know, until I get home. But, um, <laughs> but when I'm not there, that's what they do. Till I get home. And they take it so personal. Yeah. yeah. And they take it like, oh, we're not going to be able to go to school. And and I'm like, it, you know, we'll, we'll figure something out to relax. But they're torn, they, torn apart. Yeah, I can't let it go. You know, they're there. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, I didn't have to worry about this shit when I went to school. We didn't. And, uh, and you know. <laughs> we wanted we were, a snow day so I could stay home. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and we were lucky we didn't have to deal with it. Now it's, yeah, that's, you know. That's insane. Now it's it parents having to deal with, is my kid going to be okay through social yeah. media? I mean, I've had kids out on uh, shoot training days or an angling trip or survival class or something, and we have cell coverage. Bad thing. You know, I should have turned oh, them all yeah. off, should have collected yeah. them. And you go camping, that's what I do. They're having a great yep. moment, and we're having a good time, and the face just changes because they saw something that was a hit. Yeah. And the whole day is ruined, and, the, and it was like a great, perfect day for fishing. The fish were biting, and you go, oh, man. Yeah, that's well, rough. What, that sucked, yeah. you know? Yeah, we go camping, I tell my kids, phone comes out, I'm shooting it. So mm -hmm. whatever you want to do. <laughs> he will too. Yeah, he has, he's broken <laughs> a few phones before. That's not even that's not even a threat. Yeah, yeah. so we go camp, we're enjoying the outdoors. We're not we're no phone, no social media, no nothing. Yeah, yeah it's a way, there's a there's a, a primitive skills gathering that happens in Rexburg every year. Yeah. Okay, called, called rabbit, rabbit stick. stick. Um, 
the kids there don't run around with cell phones. Love it. That was the first time I had seen kids, like you know, a group of kids, and not a single one of them had a cell phone. Yeah, climbing on top not of each other, running one. around. And sure, they weren't. And they're out like, there. They're out there yeah. learning how to like skin an animal, or how to Correct. how to make this, or how or just I love just it. they're just like playing bowls. around. They, they were like making bowls out, yeah. of the, out of that out of PVC, PVC pipes, pipe. and they were and they were yeah yeah, yeah they, they were doing that. They were like just just playing around, balancing. That's the stuff we did as kids. It's like lost art. It's like it was so cool to see that. Like I never since cell phones became a thing. Never since have I seen a group of that many kids without a single phone. Wow. And none of them looked like they were having a bad time. How refreshing was that, Craig? Oh, it was so cool. I mean, it must <laughs> have been so great cool. Yeah, we tried to make it up every year. Last year yeah. we didn't go, did we? No, last year we yeah, didn't we go. Were, we, we were at the show. We're I think we were show. gone. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Dude, that's super cool. But yeah. But yeah. Uh, they do it every year in, uh, in September. September. Okay. Like, yep. Yeah, keep that going. Yeah, the yeah, first I one I went to, uh, Craig was in Columbia. Oh, right? that's right. That's the first Yeah, that's right. That was that was that my was consolation prize that he got. To, he took me to <laughs> <laughs> he took me to Rexburg. But you you wouldn't have liked I wouldn't Columbia. Have, I wouldn't have gone to Columbia. Um, I don't travel much. I'm not a traveler. So, I like to stay, um, like yeah. to stay in the safe zone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd I feel like to tie him up and throw him in the car to take him to Vegas to shoot video. Yeah, he, yeah. We, I barely made it to Portland that last yeah. time when yeah. we went. Yeah, so, took took uh, took a little bit of coaxing. Yeah, glad you I made it, man. Your stuff is good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I've been watching it. It's yeah. really you guys' social media sites and, and your video yes. content yeah, is cool. It's... Super cool. Yeah, well done. Thank you. Yeah. Cool. So uh, I had a I had a question. Sure. You were mentioning Ed. Um, do you how do you guys deal with threats? Like, because yeah. I, I always see all this stuff he posts. Like he does all these classes and he announces where he's gonna be. Yeah, and that's. You know, somebody that's done this for that a living. brave. Like, how, yeah, he's, how do you manage shit. that? It's, and it's a question of always You know, know. It's, it's interesting because um, it hasn't dropped yet, but we had Ed on our Thin Green Line podcast about a month ago, and it's mm. going to drop actually next week. Um, and that was one of the things that came up because he and I have kind of become friends um, in and around our time with Joe Rogan on the same issues. Mm-hmm. You know, all of his cartel stuff south of the border and what he's doing now since he left for all the right reasons and me on the north side of the border. And, um we, we kind of talked about that, you know, he said, people ask me all the time, you know, am I worried? And he's like, I'm always, you know, situationally aware. That's the thing. Um, and he, he's a lot more, I think, you know, forgiving, you know, or forthright with where he's at, what he's doing. Cause it's his business and he has to do that. Yeah. He has to put some of that stuff up. Um, he doesn't do it necessarily, you know, right now, you know, it's kind of not necessarily a real time thing. Um, for me, having dealt with threats in country, I think a lot more directly from the standpoint of the groups from South of the border that I was dealing with directly in California that, you know, I still in teach around and, and speak, you know, for safety reasons and teach other agencies for the same thing. Um, we kind of, Ed and I kind of follow the same protocol. You know, you, you be situationally aware, you know where you're going, you prepare your uh, site safety, you do a site assessment, just like if we go into a grow site for environmental right. crimes, booby traps, gunmen, or poisons everywhere. I do a site assessment ahead of time of everywhere I'm going to go. Um, uh, I don't do excessive travel. I didn't before COVID. Mm-hmm. And now, um, because I'm not necessarily the 
pandemic, Craig, like we were talking about, but because of the unrest and the, you know, basically just how tense everybody is in these city environments, you know, talking about the upcoming Blade Show being in Atlanta. Well, that's a great time to have it, August, (laughs) when we just had a a pandemic that hit the whole world, and we've got the biggest airport, I think, in the world, and now we have racial tension. the hottest possible month you could be down there. Yeah, Yeah. hot month. Everybody's going to be mad just because of how... Right. How sweaty they are. Yeah. Right. And we just had that officer involved shooting there. So, yeah, great. But wow. um, I digress. But on that whole great tone show. is... We, <laughs> <laughs> <show. Yeah. laughs> Leo's like, I can't wait. Oh, it's such a, it is such a fun show, man. I, man. I met a lot of you guys at Blade Show last year for the first time, and it was great. But, um, but to that, you know, we, we do the sa- safest preparation we can, and, um, you know, some events I just won't do. Yeah. You know, uh, I've been, you know, I haven't had any negative things happen that have really been life threatening. I've had a couple of threats. I've had a couple of Instagram, you know, mm-hmm. messages that were, that were a little unnerving, but, but we're, we're pretty well prepared very well prepared actually. And, um, Ed is as well. And yeah, I, know, I imagine there's, there's anybody there's, more prepared than he is. I imagine there's a level of worry that you just always have and mm-hmm. you just kind of learn to deal with it. Yeah. It's like, kind of, we, we call it, um, kind of condition yellow. You know, um, um, kind of from, you know, Colonel Jeff Cooper's gunsight training protocol that I was indoctrinated in like way back in my twenties. And now it's just called, you know, it's, it's situational awareness and just so many years of doing that job. And as a game warden in general, which is kind of unique from other law enforcement or military teams where you're around people a lot more, you have backup or you have a partner all the time. I was in the sticks a ton as my partners are with maybe just my dog, three or four five hours into the backcountry, and I might encounter something crazy where I got to take five guys out of a vehicle that are spotlighting deer. They could be drunk. They could be stoned. They could have illegal weapons. They could have, you know, I actually had a stop once in Riverside County in Southern California at the start of my career where I went face to face on this spotlighting stop. And one guy had a hundred thousand dollar warrant out of Mexico for cocaine trafficking. Holy and that, and I'm a, I'm a one year veteran of the force. I'm 23 years old. And I didn't know, I, I didn't, I didn't Did know about, Holy crap. Yeah, all right. I didn't know about the drug cartels. I didn't even know they were, you know, growing this tainted weed when they, they were down there mm-hmm. doing that. And they were out killing coyotes and deer and they were drunk off tequila and they had like 10 guns in the truck and they're coming off one out of the cab. And I thought, okay. This is weird. I made it <laughs> yeah. out of that one safe. Backup got to me. A helicopter came in from the sheriff's office. It was not a fun day. It was a good case. But after that, I think that just the light switch went off in me forever. And so when I'm, Damn. you know, civilian, yeah. um, in the grocery store, I'm cruising around, you know, if I'm in a city area or even my little, you know, mountain town in Montana now, I mean, always armed, always prepared. Escape routes are, you know, redundant and secondary, you know, um, protocol of what you're going to go through. And I, I think with that type of preparedness, when it doesn't happen, you're just that, you, you know, you, you prepare for the worst and, and, and try to hope for the best. Yeah. It's, it's what you got to do, but you're right. It doesn't, you never really feel comfortable. I don't feel comfortable today, Leo, to be honest. Um, a hundred percent. Um, I don't like, you know, um, I like having my back to the wall and seeing all oh, the Oh, you got the door behind you. Yeah. Yep. yeah. So, but yeah. see, I feel I'm in safe zone right here, yeah. right? I'm in yeah. tops. It's good. There's a lot of blades I can grab. I got yeah. my yeah. stuff here in my in my, yeah, we my got side cameras. Oh, the yeah, the two guys up there typically are armed. Yeah. 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 And and you got this is a true American shop looking around. There's a lot, a lot of veterans, a lot <laughs> of two way stuff. Right there, so just yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I, I see pelican cases that aren't Cerakoted machetes. You know, I know that. I'm sure I could get into one, get proficient, we'd go to work. But but no, but to your point is it's something we got to be careful of. And I think as, um, 
you know, as Ed, I can't speak for him and he's, he's such a brother on, on the sharing these same type of experiences, but as he gets further and further into his career post, you know, when he was working as, as a cop, as a dignitary protecting agent, all those different things he did down South, um, you just get more comfortable and you just plan your routes a little more careful. And the other thing is we both have, we're very blessed to have good friends in the community, like you guys in the blade community, the tactical community. Um, we're sponsored by a a lot of friends that we work with and that are true friends. So whether they're special forces veterans, you know, they're kind of watching our back. And usually when we're at events, we're around a whole lot of like-minded guys and gals that, you know, if, if anything goes down, we're going to have an armada of 20 to 50, you know, fellow operators that are highly skilled to kind of watch our backs and, and fight with us. And, and I got to admit that feels really good. So in, in a lot of ways, in the civilian world where I'm not in gear anymore and readily identifiable, whenever I'm at a lot of these shows, you know, like we're talking like blade show, I'm in good company, you know, shot show. I'm in good company, you know, any SCI, I'm in good company, you know, some of those, those annuals I got to go speak at or or do events at, but, but you never really get comfortable to your point. It's it's weird. (laughs) It's just lifestyle. You think that it would be exhausting, but I, I mean, you, you probably just get so used to it that it's not really, it's not exhausting. It's like, you know, it takes a little bit longer. Than the, yeah. It's, it's normal, I guess. It's, it's sometimes hard to make the mind quiet down. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're always yeah. wor- working five steps ahead on stuff. But, but this is the thing that's kind of cool is being an outdoor guy, I get this all the time where I'll take off with the dogger alone and I'll go into the sticks for 20 plus miles, you know, and take. You know, I might have a pistol, I'll have my blade, I'll have my survival implements, and I'll just go in my fishing pole. And they're like, what are you doing going into grizzly country all by yourself with no cell coverage <laughs> and this and that? And you, we're not going to hear from you for like 14 hours. I go, you know what? I feel, that's where my mind quiets <laughs> the most. Because a, a four-legged, you know, yeah. critter, a four-legged assailant, you know, I have a lot of respect for. I'm probably going to be okay because I'm going to avoid them out of respect. It's when we get in the city and we deal with the two-legged yes. problem, you know, yep. those predators. <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, you don't know what's coming there. So the people that don't yep. get that solitude out of the outdoors, just it freaks them out. Like, how can you feel comfortable there? And, uh, you know, the flip-flop is I'm most comfortable there i really am and it, it's a same good thing same thing with yeah. them you know with you guys so i'm yeah, sure you're, you just gotta be careful you know most of the time when people get attacked they sometimes it's inadvertent but right. for the most part they missed something that they shouldn't have something happened yeah you know, they got a little yeah. too close when they shouldn't have or yeah. or they just weren't trying to take attention. pictures of buffaloes up yeah. Up yeah. Up. yeah yeah that happens all the time <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> or, like, or like the Grizzly Man documentary. Yeah. Remember Brown Sugar and the names? And <laughs> yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I live in Grizzly Country now, and people are like freaked out. They're like, oh my gosh, how can you hike back there? Aren't you worried? I mean, what? look what happened to the tread. I went, well, you kind of mitigating circumstance, you know, when you're trying to pet them and kiss them when they're having the worst salmon yeah. season and they're starving and, you know, a 1,600 pound boar. Yeah. yeah, for the most part, they don't probably, view you as food. They really don't normally. Yeah. That's the guy so, that got eaten, when, right? Yeah. 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 yeah when, they're, they when, they, when they don't have food, then you look like food. Right. But if they do have food, you're just, you're, you're just, just an there. annoyance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're just there. Quit taking my picture. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah. I had another question. Uh, sure. So for you, the environment, the environmental part was more important, right? Or, or did it, it was slowly change into the, yeah, that, you know what? I've never had that question asked. That's a really good question. It's, it's one of those things where our focus, and I think where game wardens are most impassioned, and not to be, you know, not yeah. to, you know, put any disparaging remarks on any other law enforcement, but we get into it because of wildlife and being in the outdoors and hunting, fishing, conservation. We thrive on that. It's our juice. Um, but the thing about why I got into it, it, it was public safety always comes mm-hmm. first. 
You know, it, it really does. As much as I care about wildlife and I love wildlife and the balance and I want to see them here for generations to come, just like you guys do. And, and, and I, uh, development has to happen. I just want to see, you know, smart development. So green belts last and we have open spaces right. for the sake of all of us, whether we, lo- we use the outdoors or not. Um, but we need to keep our public safe first and foremost. And, and right now, especially toward the end of my career, it was definitely the environmental thing on the tainted weed, but it was the public safety that was even even weighing heavier than the environmental damage because the guys we were going up against were so heavily armed and fought us so often that if kids had come into that grow site, a scout troop on a hike, uh, you know, biologists in there doing a timber survey, and I've got some stories on that, that happened. Um, but things like that, and then knowing that that, that EPA banned carbofuran that's a nerve agent is all over the soil they could, you know, try to get a scoop of water out of the creek and it's tainted in the creek or it's, you know, at the base of a marijuana plant. People can die from that or have respiratory failure almost instantly if it's, you know, on the plants, you know, really fresh. So we went into it with the public safety mindset that, look, hey, even if we don't catch anybody, we're going to take this tainted product out so someone doesn't ingest it and get poisoned not knowing, you know, it's not just sedate weed to experiment with or medical weed. They're, they got it on a bad market. Um, it, it's all that environmental, you know, damage they could, it's going to bleed over to them from a, a health and human safety standpoint, or if they run across an armed grower and he has nothing to lose because he's sitting on a seven to, you know, $20 million profit and that person can't make it out alive. And those are real issues we dealt with. So public safety. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Combination. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of both. But, yeah. but to your point, yeah. First so, and second. So, but, and that, but the way that you got them basically the way you got them was on the environment the environmental yep. crimes yeah okay, yep. okay. That we, makes that makes sense we absolutely did it was it was interesting i can uh, and i don't think i've ever talked about this publicly but um in the last chapter hidden where i go into this a little bit where we legalize under prop 64 and that chapter was written at the end of all these crazy mission stories of forming the team, why we formed it, all the crazy stuff that happened the action excitement whatever um and then now we've legalized and regulated in california has it worked? What challenges do we have for regulation everywhere in the country or other countries? And I come back to the environmental component really playing a key part in a successful prosecution. And the first court case we had that actually went to trial on some cartel growers that actually showed up in court and didn't just skip it because they were so confident they wouldn't get penalized because we had regulated. And it was Santa Cruz County. So it was an incredibly liberal county with incredible liberal judges that didn't believe in a marijuana case of anything. And they definitely were keeping ice out of their city because they were a sanctuary city before it was statewide and prop 64 had been in play and now it's regulated and it's a misdemeanor, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Infraction. So they're like, okay, we'll take our chances. So we actually had a DA that held his muster and said, you know what, <laughs> we're, we're climbing a hill that's like straight ice, man. <laughs> you know, we're going to Everest. <laughs> we don't have oxygen. We don't have crampons and there's no ropes, but let's climb. So we did that. Um, and we actually got the jury to convict on all the environmental component crimes. They didn't even penalize them for the cannabis, but uh-huh. because of the banned poisons and, and, and sentenced these guys. And the judge just you know, after he read everything to the jury, a very liberal jury in Santa Cruz County just felt the environmental impact. And we went, wow, if you can do that with environmental statutes here in this county, with the way the sentiment of the country is going, you can do it. But to your point, Leo, it takes a lot more work to build that up. Absolutely. 
Yeah. So it was it was uh, it was a win, and it showed other agencies that okay, these these game wardens have something here. You know, if we can't do it, we'll bring them in. We'll make sure we work with the Met team, and we'll make sure we get an environmental component. And now we want back in and. It's always like, you know, show somebody the damages and make them your friend. Don't force them to come to the party. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. encourage them to be there for the right reasons. And that's how we get non-conservation-related agencies like, say, DEA or sheriff's departments or police departments just wanting to come because they love wildlife, too. Yeah, yeah. And I, and so I, think, I think that's a good point because you got the – so everything in the country now is liberal or conservative. and this is But this is one of those things that – we all, the end result, we all want the same end result. Absolutely. We may disagree about how to get there. Like, I want to hunt, and maybe some people don't want me to, but we all agree that nature should be protected. Perfect. So Thank you. That's yep. what's that's what's cool about it is, yeah. is even in a place that's that's liberal where you think, ah, maybe maybe this is a waste of time, you've still got an end where they yeah. agree with you on, on the end result here. And that's, uh, that's, that's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, it's it's ultimately the unifying message where you can kind of walk the line, and if it's it's hard to stay out of the politics, I get that, but I I really I think one of the biggest rewards, and I feel very blessed that this happened, is as a as a tactical unit of game wardens in California, the marijuana enforcement team, we were able to kind of be right in the uh, you know kind of the top of that little you know razorback ridge, and with the left and the right both fighting over all these different things, but everybody agreed. Everybody agreed on the environment. The hunters wanted it protected for that reason. The preservationists wanted wanted it protected because they don't want to see Bambi poisoned. Right. They you know they want to know what's going on. You know that they're seeing on TV and and um and that's I think that's the only way we're going to get dialogue. To your oh, yeah. point, is get that dialogue going, and just agree to disagree on some stuff, and meet halfway. So we look at the bigger picture. And I, I wish we were doing more of that now. And I'm pushing doing more of that now, Craig. To your point, is stay off the fringes and let's just. Agree to disagree. Get through this election, you know, keep everybody safe, stop destroying, you know, property and people and, and, you know, and and on every level. And I know that simplifies a, some, some deep issues. And I don't, I'm not trying to do that, but it's got to start somewhere, you know, we're just not doing that. And hopefully uh, that changes soon. So. Yeah, sooner. <laughs> this is going to be chaos. <laughs> the way things are yeah. going. Yeah, everyone's yeah. freaking out it's about November bad. and, you know, and uh, yeah. <laughs> what seems next? like one problem is about to end and then you have another one. Yeah, such a weird, so, such a weird, it is a weird year. time. So what improvements would you like to see in the, in the, you know, in the next few years or what's something that just your average person could do? You know, I, I think um, it, it comes back to outdoor awareness and outdoor appreciation on every level. I think, again, it's a unifying thing, um, no matter where you sit, politically, ideologically, or any of that. Um, do something you can to participate in the outdoors or to help protect our outdoor resources. Whether it's a, a Clean a Creek project that a lot of these counties have. I think about, you know, Santa Clara County, where I came from. Um, we have, as an example, we have all these migratory salmon and endangered, federally threatened and endangered steelhead trout that still migrate all the way up from the Pacific Ocean and come right into the hub of Silicon Valley in San Jose and go up all the little creeks I grew up hiking around. And I mentioned them in the book. Um, and these fish are so fragile right now because of water quality, but they're so cool. If Even if you're not going to catch them, just to see a steelhead is amazing. They're yeah. going to be like an extinct velociraptor pretty soon. You know, they're just, they're such a pristine creature and all the other wildlife that do it. And if people just have a, you know, protective awareness where they get involved in that, a, um, a, a trail repair, you know, a volunteer program in a state or national or county park, um, we have volunteer programs, every game warden agency and pretty much every park agency that I know of has a volunteer program. Um, in California, we call them natural resource, uh, natural 
resource volunteer program and they'll come up and they'll help clean up grow sites when they're trained to do it you know reclimate the damages after we do the raid bust the bad guys take out you know all these tainted weed plants um, but there's all those streams that are destroyed all those dams that are in place all those fertilizers leaching into the water and someone's got to clean that up and it's nasty work and we can't do it all so we have groups in california now spreading out to other parts of the country um uh, with with several different ngos that i'm a part of now and advising on that are just educating people to say, hey, if you've got the time and you want to really help, jump in and volunteer on this team or generate some fundraising for it. You know, if you can't get out, get be boots on the ground, if you will. Yeah. Um, conservation agencies like Rocky Mountain Elk, Mule Deer Foundation, California Deer Association, Ducks Unlimited. I mean, there are so many good conservation agencies that even though they focus on one species, they're out there putting resource protection monies. Yeah, those species share the same areas. Right. They're yeah. using the same cover. They're using the same water. So, um, and, and, you know, it's not just throwing money at it. I mean, there's real boots on the ground from these volunteers that this money is supporting. So um, I get to do a lot more with that and speak freely. I couldn't do that employed under agency, even though we work with so many of those groups. Um, so I would just encourage somebody to reach out and get involved in their There's local nothing, area yeah. and just depends where you're at. You know, call your know your conservation agency whatever game and fish fish and game fish wildlife and parks as we call it in montana now just call a regional office and say what, what can i do to help you know to participate there's there's more than enough to go around yeah so how do they dispose of the weed oh, that's a good question oh, that's a good one do they, <laughs> they smoke do they, half of do they, they burn, burn it, it? Do they like <laughs> so <laughs> in the old in the old days we burned a lot of it and then we found out about these carbofuran nerve agent anticoagulant oh, toxins what happens, right? yeah, toxins, what happens yeah. when you burn that stuff well if that gets in the air and smoke and you ingest it, I mean, you could have respiratory failure almost instantly, wow. you know? Um, so just smelling it can, just, can just mess you up. Can totally mess you up, Holy yeah. Crap. And not just right. the high from the burned weed and the THC, but basically the poison that's on the it. Poison. Yeah. So what we've been doing, um, and most, I'm not going to say all, but most agencies are doing this that I know of, is we we bury it, mulch it, and it goes in a landfill that's, a special hole that's dug. It doesn't go into the general, you know, trash pile at a landfill. Um, it's, it's a hole that's dug. It's mulched in so it can't ever be harvested. It's buried. We witness it. We photograph it. We videotape it. Um, and we document it, you know, and w that's pretty much what we have to do. And if we have to put it in a, in a line basin, so if it does have poisons on it, that doesn't seep into the underground oh, yeah. water. That's an issue as well. So where this stuff goes in landfills now, um, if it's not budded weed, and if it doesn't have poisons on it and we can verify that, we can sometimes destroy it in place. Just cut it, uproot it, let it bake in the sun. It's not going to survive a day in 100-degree heat, okay. you know, because it needs so much water. Um, but to, to your point, Craig, on that, it, that's some of the biggest challenges we have now. Is, yeah, that seems... Is getting that, especially these massive you got grows. thousands of plants. How do you... Like, yeah, yeah. If, if you got to move them all, that's, that seems like a lot of work. Yeah, and it's, if it's budded and it's, you know, got poisons on it or dissipated poisons on it, we've got to move it. So we're putting that in nets. Yeah. We're taking it out with helicopters. Sometimes we haven't had helicopters. One of the chapters in Hidmore, I, uh, it's in, it's Santa Clara County chapter, and it's uh, it's uh, a gunman, a canine named Phoebe, and a mule named Stanley. And <laughs> Stanley the mule was one pack mule that a guy I knew that lived at the base of this hill where we had this cartel grow in my hometown of Morgan Hill in California. It was just funny because we got into way more you know, cannabis than we thought we were going to get. It was all poisoned. Um, we had two dog bites. Phoebe saved my life that day, our super canine. We avoided a gunfight narrowly, um, took some guys to jail that was uh, safe. And then we had all this weed to deal with, and we didn't have a helicopter that day. Oh, and man. it was hot, and we've been on mission like 
three quarters of the day, started at three in the morning, night op in. And I'm like, well, how are we going to get this all off? We're going to have to hike this down the hill, two trucks. We're going to transport it off. So old John had one mule left. All 20 other mules were already in Yosemite National Park. But he goes, I got one mule and he's a great mule. I'll let you use him. And Stanley can run forever with, you know, his pack, pack, pack saddle set up to take out hundreds of pounds of weed. But I better get a letter from you guys because when I take him up to Yosemite and he smells like marijuana, I'm pro- <laughs> I, he goes, I'm probably going to get kicked out of the National Park, you know, a wilderness program for stock patrol. So I said, now we got you on that. So Stanley saved the day. I think we ran about 20 loads. Um, but it was, wow. it, it's things like that. And yeah, when Stanley's running a load and I've got a big, you know, me and another guy have a tarp rolled up with three, 400 pounds of just budded weed that we're dragging, you know, straight down through poison oak into creeks. It, it gets, quote unquote, it gets Western, you know, and that's wow. the hardest part is, is getting that stuff out of there and doing the cleanup. Yeah, you think it's dragging like, a giant I, joint down the... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It looks like oh, a big yeah. burrito You're roll. Big up. Up. Yeah. Yeah. You think your joint's bigger? Yeah. Than yeah. Mine. <laughs> it's about, yeah, a little, oh, about, about the width and size and diameter of this table, and it's just, yeah, it's oh, a big man. one. Yeah. So, so the the stuff that you that you destroy and you bury. Mm-hmm. What if somebody came three years later and tried to plant something on there? Try to would that be bad or what? Um, in the area where we disposed of it, or mm-hmm. back in the old grow site? Say the grow site, or or where you dispose of it? Yeah, for, I'll take the grow site first, Leo, on that one. And um, we have found, and this is something that I really had to convince other agencies was worthwhile of doing. Is we would go in and try to arrest and, you know, actually apprehend bad guys. So there was some deterrence, not just, oh, wait for the helicopter to fly over and they'll yell and scream and nobody wants conflict. So we'll hide in our hidey holes. Oh, we lost this grow, but we're going to go work the next one because we're, you know, our group is responsible for 50. So we're going to try to apprehend, um, get them out of circulation and really put a, put a hit on that, that group from doing more damage. Then we're going to eradicate everything and then we're going to go dispose of it. So in the grow site itself, we learned that if we didn't do the reclamation and take out not only the weed, but all the trash, restore the waterway and spooled up all the black poly pipe that they might run for 500 yards or three miles to get their water. <laughs> wow. No, yeah. I, I've, I've literally tracked a, a water line three miles. Holy crap. It, it actually went across two counties. It was 18 inches under a road on a ranch that was a hard pack because it had been embedded for so long. And when we finally busted this grow, and it was right in my hometown area on Pacheco Pass between Interstate 5 and the coast of Santa Cruz, when we raided that thing and we started, all right, we got to find the water source. And we walked and walked and hiked and hiked late in the day. And you got to be kidding me. And then we'd like go underground and we'd dig up trees and then we'd dig up, wait a minute, it's just a road. It's got to go, you got to be kidding me. Holy crap. Get some tools, find it on this, on a rancher's road that's been embedded, you know, a good guy for 100 years. Blacktail Deer Hunting Club. And then we run this thing down and I'm thinking, okay, if we just raid this and take all this out and leave this water source here, They'll Garrett, be back. it's his black gold. He's just going to come back. He's going to wait a year, maybe a half a year. He knows we're tied up. He knows we're all over multiple counties, now the whole state. And you're on to the next one. And we're on to the next one, yeah. brother. So that's yeah. it, Craig. So, so Leo, if we don't take all that out, especially the water pipe, which is the crappiest part of the job is going back and spooling that spooling stuff that from stuff. the dam. <laughs> and sometimes it goes under poison Oak. It goes through glacier rocks. I mean, I cannot, I'm not exaggerating when I say wow. this is some crappy work, but my guys and all the guys will say, okay, who's, who's sitting in the water source. And usually it's, my canine handler, because he's just a beast, you know, it's uh, it's Brian Boyd or it's Nick Buckler or it's, you know, those guys, let's go. And they go and hit it and, um, you know, they're gone for a day. <laughs> they're oh, just spooling, wow. spooling, spooling, and we're picking that stuff up. But when we do that, long-windedly to my point, when we do that, 
it's a very slight, minimal, if any percentage chance that a cartel group is going to come back, bring all the infrastructure back in, try to run more line because it's been busted. They've had their guys taken out. It's on our radar. They've lost thirty, forty thousand dollars of infrastructure by you know with their water lines and all the camp and all the accoutrements they need to survive there. Um, so the guys coming back after it's reclamated, very, very unlikely. Wow. But if we don't take that stuff out, which up until less than ten years ago nobody took that stuff out, and we were the driving agency with Forest Service uh, as well, pushing, hey, we got to do this, guys. It's nasty, dirty. It's not trash removal. You're not a garbage man. It seems like it. And it's nasty. It probably it's, feels like it. It yeah. feels like it. It's ugly. But guys, we need to do it. And if we can't, we got to bring professionals in that can safely. Yeah. Um, but if we don't take it out, one out of two times within a year, a group's going to come back and plant. It's going to happen. Yeah. Because they, you know what it is, bud? They've got the perfect spot already figured out. They've got the water. They've got the cover. It's hidden. And they're like, okay, I'll take a chance. I'll take a chance. Yeah. I've, we've literally had grows in the same place that haven't been reclamated every year straight for five, six, seven years. And we go in and raid it. We take it out. Maybe we're working with another agency in their jurisdiction and they don't want to reclamate. Like, okay, we'll see you next year. <laughs> <laughs> and sure enough, we were there, you know, within another half a year. So, um, so, so what's the timeline between you when you find a grow site and then, and by the time you've reacclimated and, Oh man, um, it, it all depends on how big it is and how busy we are on other stuff. Um, we like to find them really early. Like right now, the season's just starting to blow up. As an example, in California, it's up in the nineties now. You know, and this it, is the good time for, for this. The, this is the, the time heat. that it's in the ground and it's going full tilt. And the first harvest is usually really around around Fourth of July, and you know, into July. So if we can find it like February, March, when they're just going in the ground mm. and, you know, they're just getting their infrastructure put in, the plants are about this high. I love a 30,000 plant grow when the plants are this high. I walk out <laughs> with two Safeway shopping bags, 30,000 plants, they're, you know, There's that feels time. great. And 30,000 plants <laughs> in August is, That's you know, 40 thing. officers for three days and they're getting their asses kicked. Jeez. So um, it's, we try to get them early. If we can't get them early, if we find a grow like in the middle, like if we find one now, and we're already booked to do 10 missions in the next two weeks, one a day, which is literally how much the team works. It's, it's one a day, sometimes five a day, and we're not all on the same one. We're with different agency, you know, branched oh, out. Um, it might be a couple of weeks before we can get to it. we got to kind of triage the priority of, okay, is this one on a sensitive waterway? Does it have threatened and endangered, endangered species like trout, like the fisher, like, um, you know, are mountain lines being impacted, whatever? Um, or is it just more of an arid, dry, they're piping water in from a spring? Okay, we want that one out, but we can wait a week or two. Um, but usually we're on it within a week if we can. And I know with COVID, as an example, what I can share is um, we were also locked down from, you know, a personal safety standpoint of social distancing that for many, many months, team members couldn't meet up. They couldn't train. So oh, all the, t all the mild team members were in all their different <clears throat> sections of the state. Cause we're all evenly divided until we come together for a mission. And what, what do motivated guys do? They're out on their own and they're scouting yeah. and they were finding grow after grow after grow and just marking them documenting them, them yeah. getting set up and then, oh, wow. and then you know and then my now new, you got to fight over which one to hit first right and then craig the new boss who replaced me you know he's, he's telling me the story he's like oh yeah i'm getting another call and you know brian found 10 more and in, in northern california and they're just chomping at the bit i'm like hold on hold on document it we can't go we can't go we can't go and then finally they're going to drop the gate and they've just been off the charts man for for a while now so um yeah wow. you have to so, tell so, maya that his job's not stressful 
so the the stuff that they're putting on these plants does that stay in the soil does that mess up does. natural things that would grow there it very much does it very much does How this do you, stuff well, um i'll ask you once you answer yeah this stuff is um to put a little more background on it now i dove in pretty pretty heavy in the appendices of Hidmore with a, a scientific chapter from the scientists that actually do the water sampling, quantify the analysis of what it does, soil samples over time, well after the grow's gone, after we've gone in and reclimated it, to look at the long-standing damage and how, how deadly this stuff is. But um, carbofuran, cufuran, metafos, those are trade names. They're basically, some of the ingredients in them are the nerve agents that the Nazis developed for their, for their nerve gas and their nerve weapons. Oh, um, they're anticoagulant. They just make, you know, they, they make your, your blood not coagulate. They cause instant respiratory, you know, failure, your central nervous system, shutting down your nerve system. So when animals ingest that stuff, I mean, they, they, they seize up, they die like a 20-minute violent death, sometimes faster. Um, once it's in the soil or it's on the plants or it's in the water, it is always a threat to humans and always a threat to wildlife. It's a matter of how threatening is it based on how long it's been there. So, for example, if a 5,000-plant grow site has been basted in this stuff, because the reason the cartels use it, as deadly as it is, and they know it's deadly, those guys are getting hurt from it, you know? I don't even know that some of them want to put it on. It's just... it's the SOPs of, mm -hmm. you know, what you would That's use. That's what to, you do. Yeah, yeah, like this is how you Cerakote, clear Cerakote a good blade because mm -hmm. it's going to be the toughest finish. Even though this stuff's nasty, we will not get one animal one rabbit, one deer, one bear to touch one plant that's going to take out our profit and what we don't care. Take the chance. So they put this stuff on and it's so nasty for the first 14 days and it's kind of like white uh, bird droppings or you know, white paint splotches or a white mist, almost like misty. It taints the weed white until it dries clear. Um, for a 14-day window, if we don't know it's been over 14 days, and that's with nitrile gloves, face protection, you know, long sleeves, um, decontent, you know, boots we can decon, we can't even cut that stuff with our cutting tools and put it in a helicopter net and have it go to a landing zone. <laughs> Because federal agents, wow. some federal law enforcement officers with Forest Service got exposed about three years ago back east, not even on the west coast where it's super hot. And those guys almost died. And federal OSHA came in and said, what is going on, guys? Um, you got to have decon. you got to have this. you got to have that. And then Cal OSHA, our side on the California side, didn't get as stringent, but we just had a good face, said, well, hey, <laughs> the feds have this bad ordeal. We're all working together. We're going to implement the same type of uh, yeah. you know, safety protocol. So we, um, we do that. And if it's so contaminated, we can't touch it. We'll wait the week and we'll come back in and then we'll, you know, go through the cutting and the burying and take out what we can safely. And, uh, and if we can't get the site completely sanitized, we'll tell people, you know, don't go in that part of the forest, you know, until we can, until that soil can be cleaned, until the water can be purified, uh, or whatever the case may be. So we, how, just, we have to earmark it. So how do you sanitize that? Or d does it eventually wear out, like... It eventually, less yeah, yeah, it'll, dangerous. it'll eventually dissipate to a level that you can at least be around it, you know, without ingesting it and you'll, you'll, you'll be okay. Um, so, so some of these areas, I mean, how many, how many acres is, is like a decent grow site? We'll say an average, say an average grow site of 5,000 plants, which is medium to large, uh, will probably cover at least two acres. Okay, so those two acres, they're clearing out whatever's there—trees, brush, whatever's there. Right. How long is it going to take the 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 
the native plants to regrow in that area. You know, the problem, the sad part about that, Craig, is it could take decades. Holy crap. Because we can go in and we can take all the weed out. We can even, you know, surface scrape contaminants off the soil. We can take out the water diversions. We can sanitize the site where all the trash and camping accoutrements and everything is gone. But you take an, you know, an eight inch diameter willow tree that's what we call riparian habitat. It's really good cover for aquatics and creeks and also for land-based animals. You take an eight or 10 inch diameter oak tree or, you know, willow tree or manzanita tree that they've cut Didn't to make sunlight. I, we, you can't replant yeah, that, you, can. you know, uh, you know, and some of this is eight miles into the back country, right? So a lot of this, it's just the natural grass has got to come up uh, in a year or two, and that'll help stabilize the banks and the soil from eroding into the creeks. And then, um, then very, decades, very, you're going to get trees it, back. It, decades, Holy you're going to get trees back. And hopefully we take some of the trees that have been cut, but not completely, you know, tr- they've been trimmed out significantly. Mm-hmm. If they're not dead, we're going to play off of that. Um, but, but a full reclamation to actually replant and get those trees back, the big ones, it's not happening. It, it's, and if it is, it's happening very, very limited at yeah. this point, honestly, which, which is a problem and something we're looking at nationally with funding and with teams to come in. And it can't be law enforcement teams. It's got to be these hazmat trained volunteers or professionals that come in right behind a strike force like us with us that day. And we've done a little of it, but I mean, it, it needs to go up on exponential steroids to be effective. Yeah. That's a, that sounds like a big, not, uh, I'm not sure what it was. Yeah. I was just hearing something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, is that, that I make. <laughs> Jesus, uh, Jesus is always slapping Leo's hands. Yeah. No, I'm not. <laughs> Look at him. I'm not going to slap his hand. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. insane. So yeah. decades before it's going to be what it was. That's so, that's so crazy. Yeah. But one thing with the cover gone, that is a, that is a hard hit, but everything else you're taking out was, was the more, it was more damaging factor in direct poisoning causing more damage direct exactly leo direct causal you get that poison in a waterway and you get it on the soil at the base of every plant everything's dying around it uh, including possibly people if they're touching it so if we get that out nothing's going to die you know the animals are going to drink clean water they're going to move through that once we start seeing weeds come out you feel refreshed i bet i do yeah and the least weeds you know not trees because it's going to take for years but and it's been and there's some pictures in the new and the old book actually both books where you see what a site looks like when we walk in there in color and you just go oh man that looks like a trash it looks like you know going into yosemite park and somebody just put a landfill on the side of it and then you see a cleaned up site and you go okay it looked like there was a camp there you know maybe there were a bunch of tents and it was kind of flattened out I don't really notice the trees that are cut down. I see more of a flat area that people probably took within a nice wooded area full of trees. And then, um, but okay, but it still looks nice. It looks like what I'm used to seeing when I go camping, Yeah, you know, where things are kind of not a, not a, you know, a natural pristine wilderness area. So there's, there's always some headway. And I always look at it as, um, as frustrating as it is that we're only getting a small percentage of this stuff, every single grow site we get out of circulation and get cleaned up and stop the group from making profit off a poison product that's poisoning kids in the Midwest. It's, you know, medical patients on the Eastern seaboard that have no idea what they're ingesting. That feels good. So the guys, even though they're up against an even bigger challenge, because I think they've got it worse than, than when I was running the team and um, I'm doing everything I can to send their message, to get them support is they still feel they're doing something, something productive and they're doing it for the right reasons. And um, we're very proud of them for doing that because it's, it's an uphill battle. Truly. Yeah. So crazy. And I, I guess as time goes on, it's going to get even crazier. New drugs are coming out every week. They it are. It feels like. Yeah. And so, yep. you know, what well, they put on these plants or what they grow next is going to be 
Yeah, it's all be these crazy uh, to see coming to garage what's chemists getting crazy. It's, it's good to it's it's good getting this out there because I think the vast majority of people have no idea that the cartels are operating in the U.S. already. Right. A lot of people yeah. still look at it like, that's it. oh, that's down in Mexico. I'm I'm safe. Everything's fine. And it's like, oh. Wait yeah. a second. Yeah, like, with the maybe, COVID, with the COVID, what, what what happened with the COVID? Uh, it's in China. It's all right. China. Yeah, month later, you know, we're we're staying home. You know, yeah, yeah. The toilet paper's gone. And... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, and it, it's it's interesting because to that point, Craig, it um, I still get that in you know comments from Instagram feeds when I post something or Ed, Ed and I do, we talk about this all the time. He puts up some, we share each other's posts and put it up and he goes, no, you don't understand. Sinaloa and these other cartels are embedded in America. They're not coming and going. They have infrastructure families to the tune of 10. They got people that are, they got people that are probably citizens or probably actually born here. It's a, it's a true story. Some of the latest takedowns that we both post on have said that. And he, uh, you know, we're both trying to get that message out that guys, there is a, element within America that's run like a very efficient corporation, just add a violent component to it and a lack of humanity and health and human safety concerns for profit or whatever else at the expense of people's lives and, and wildlife resources. And they're embedded and you still have the stuff on the South side of the border that's being done and stuff smuggled via tunnels, panga boats off the coast or by people and mules. So there's, um, there's a much deeper issue here. Um, that people need to be aware of. And I'm, I, we don't try to panic our citizens or say, don't go in the woods. We just want people to be in condition yellow, have that situational yeah. awareness and have everybody be part of that thin green line to say, you know, this guy doesn't look like he really fits. I'm not profiling, but I saw a black water line or I saw what I think is a meth cook going on, you know, in the back country or whatever the case may be and to report it and get out of there safely. So our public stays Wait, safe. The last, the last bus that I remember here was about big bus. was about 10 years ago up in Caribou. Caribou from here is I about, heard about that one. Yeah. What is it about? Hour and a half. Hour and a half. Hour and a half. And it was uh it was some um some little uh Boy Scouts. Really? Yeah, Boy Scouts they went up climbing, you know, they're gonna and take they them found up it. on the, Yeah. They found this big bust and that's the first time I've ever seen a helicopter actually pulling down, you know, that much marijuana yes. out of it. And the fact that our kids are finding it, our yeah. scouts are finding it, the um yeah, Leo, that, that hits home because second to last chapter in Hidden War goes into a Santa Cruz County uh, site we found that was, I can't prove it necessarily, but we're all pretty convinced it was the same organization that was running the same one on our side of the county because it was the same property, just different counties. One was Santa Cruz, one was Santa Clara. When my partner got shot in 05, the way, they, the way their armament was, the way the tactical setup was that they had, their ambush positions, um, it's where we did get into a gunfight, but two guys got away. Um, the one guy that was coming down on us, um, from the kitchen area didn't, he had two handguns. And what was crazy about that whole setup was the whole time we were going in this mission, I go, I just, you know, hair up the back of the neck, the spider senses were tingling. I go, this is deja vu from Oh five, same type of day. The way this thing is set up, it's an uphill approach only. We don't have any other tactical way to to tackle this thing. And when we saw everything, we went. This is the same group. I mean, it was cut off, chopped AK-47, sawed-off shotguns. I mean, fields of fire that you had to go right at them into shaded, covered positions that I think um, another team that didn't have the tactics might have really had a problem. But the crazy part about that was that was right above Soquel Creek, which is a steelhead channel. It was right across the street from Demonstration Forest in Santa Cruz County that is a top-10 mountain biking park in the country. <laughs> and a third of their growth site, their 11,000-plant growth site, guys, a third of it, 
was on a property called Camp Loma that was a summer education science camp for kids learning to hike, to fish. And those trails were going right by this encampment where they had this fortified gun position. How they didn't interact, I'll never know. But that was oh, simply, wow. it was wow. crazy. And so it would have been kids mm. that might have seen that, to and, your point, with this character. And I'm going to bring this up. And like I said, it, it, something that, that's crazy to me. So they did this bust. They went in, you know, whoever it was, and they put up these these cameras. What's what's funny and it's crazy to me is that they only got every every guy that they got was from the waist down, no faces, no nothing. Really? Okay. You know that's that's weird to me. It says something. Yeah. 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 You know, it's, it's somebody got good money out of it or <laughs> or something, but every picture, every video is from the waist down. Interesting. So you can see AK forty seven hanging off. You can see all that, but no no faces. Yeah, I'm just glad some kids didn't get hurt yeah. in that one. Yeah, but. absolutely. But, uh, you know, I, I, I drive the point home. The people, oh, yeah, we only had one up here in you know this part of Idaho or Oregon. or yeah. It's not as big. You know, it's a California problem. And what we really pushed with the second book was, this isn't a California not, problem, guys. Not. And what you don't realize is the same groups in Cali are the same groups that are in Mexico. And they're the same groups in Idaho and the same groups in Washington, like, Ohio you know, and the, Washington, the, you know, Arkansas, Tennessee, Indiana. I mean, I'm hearing it from all these, you know, other teams I work with and train with and, and, and and speak for it's just um we need to look at it as a concentrated whole and kind of a way of criminal marketing in america that right now honestly with all the other crap going on it's getting ignored it's getting a little bit ignored and so and we got to keep driving the bus because the bus still you know is still on on the highway here what i call the thin green line bus you know of, of our environment but um but i appreciate you guys talking about it with me man and yeah, put no, it out yeah, a little we appreciate bit you coming and being a big part of the thing yeah, yeah we feel like cool. this is a real podcast now yeah <laughs> this is our first real one i'm just glad we, we met it and played show west yeah, man, and you yeah, came absolutely. over it's cool absolutely. Made some friends out of it and it, it was cool because we were actually driving down there we started talking about the book that you were reading uh yeah and, we then, were, and yeah. when they were starting listening to the podcast, and then you see them, you see yeah. them there. Yeah. Yeah. We listened to that yeah. Joe Rogan podcast on the way to Blade Show West. Oh, was it real? Oh, yeah. so it was like right before I met you. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm and, glad, and glad had, it worked out. Yeah. That was so good to be. We, we, we had started following Ed's manifesto because his, his, when he first started posting stuff, it was so cr- like nobody. No, Nobody no. knew what to think. No. People were like, what is, who is, what is this guy? Like, how is this, how is this yeah. happening? And, and then, you know, so it just kind of snowballed from there. And then I saw you at the show. I'm like, no way. That's, that's, that's that, the dude that was on Rogan. That guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was, uh, that was, that was cool. You know, I, I, it was kind of a fanboy moment for me. Yeah. We were trying to like, <laughs> calm down, Craig. Come on. Craig. No, but, but I gotta go. I gotta go. I'm like, yeah. okay, fine. Go. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, man, I hated, I hated it. Cuts both ways too. Cause in, in the blade world that I'm, I'm getting immersed in, you know, now, and it's just, uh, it's been cool to see you guys with, from such a great company, making such great blades for all the right reasons, passionate about the issue and to get to know you guys in person and, and, and become friends, you know, as well as sending the message together. I'm honored, man. Thank you. No, yeah, no thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Likewise. You know, I'm like, he's going to probably hear a couple of our podcasts. You know, we don't he's have to be like, ah, uh, I couldn't yeah, make I'm gonna it. Pass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no. We know when, we know when and where, but yeah, we, we yeah. see him drive by on us 20 here. And <laughs> Jesus, Jesus wanted to ask you how you were related to Chuck Norris, but I think he was out. Oh, I definitely was out. I had a bunch of Chuck Norris jokes. That I was going to ask. Yeah. No, Uncle, no, no, Uncle no. Chuck. Yeah. We're really yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> <laughs> He's like, you have to fit some in. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> no, I told him, well, I'm going to yeah, do it. Were, and then was, I'm like, you know what? Your it's going to be stupid. Cause <laughs> you were supposed to s- I wanted to ask him some real questions. Because it was, it was interesting. And it's, it's something you don't really hear about a lot so yeah and these were good um, ones guys you pulled you pulled some questions out i do a lot of podcasts for all the right reasons and you pulled out some good ones that i haven't heard yet oh, so no, thank you kudos man thank, thank you thank you so follow him on instagram right What's yeah I'm, your... I'm on instagram it's just at john norris j-o-h-n-n-o-r-e-s um my my website where you can get to me through an email because i get a lot of either direct messages if people have questions about outside safety, survival training, whatever, a book, the que- you know, just the issue, um, hit, direct message me on Instagram or hit me through my website, which is trailblazer413 at yahoo.com. And if anybody wants um, a copy of Hidden War, they're available on Amazon. I do direct sales where I can sign and personalize my both my signature blade, my um, thin green line trailblazer, my V-Nice trailblazer that just dropped, as well as the book. Um, hit me on Instagram again directly if anybody's interested in that. Cool. Uh, and or a book and the, something that's kind of cool that we hadn't quite come out uh, uh craig when we met but with the audible version of hidden War, it was really cool and i got uh, to read for it with a really oh, good nice. with good. a really good producer uh, trammell starks over in atlanta who's um he's a billboard recording artist music producer but does audiobooks as well so he scored it originally he put in sound effects he got them all right Oh really? Um, and it was the first time oh, I've ever read that much. Great. Yeah, for four and a half days. I'm gonna do the audio version because yeah. yeah, I read really slow. Yeah, <laughs> so and, do I. And what we're finding is it's like people are listening to podcasts and they're li- listening to audiobooks. Yeah. They're not sitting down to read anything in COVID right now. So um, if people want that, it's there. And uh, yeah, reach out and uh, I'm, oh. gl- I'm glad to answer questions or get people yeah. anything they need. Well, thanks cool. so much for joining us. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it, was, it, was, it was great having you. Seriously, awesome, John, thank you for taking a little detour and stopping and hanging out with us. <laughs> Anytime, man. Love your yeah, shot. We'll stop by good. again. Yeah. Thank you.